and I will promise you though, if I get about halfway through and mess up, I won't go back to the beginning and start over, just so you know. <laughs> it is marvelous to be with you. Before I forget, I want to do a little heads up. I just uh, I grabbed Kent real quick and, and asked his wisdom on this. I, I'm just going to give a heads up to ministers. There's very few of us here today because a lot of folks are out and, and elders and your, our wives. Um, you know, we'll often do family prayer time. I'm just I had mentioned to you guys before, sometimes if I feel the vibe, I might say, just be ready when we're done with the sermon. We only got one song, but I'm going to invite a family prayer time kind of moment there if, if for anybody that wants to. So elders and wives, just be ready at the end. And if I forget, can't just do this, but because, uh, you know, I get excited about talking about Jesus. I may forget. But um, at the end, we'll be singing a song. I just encourage you just to go to your kind of prayer spots. And if people want to just go and pray and just uh, and do that, and you can filter out to the Welcome Center after. Just want to uh, put that bug in your ear <clears throat> so you're not surprised by it. Um, we are uh, finishing up these last two weeks of a series we've been doing in the book of Ephesians, overhearing a conversation, an inspired conversation God gives to his people in the scripture, telling them and us who we are and why we're here. And Ephesians, we've said many times before, it's kind of broken up in the first three chapters, only six chapters. First three chapters just really squarely hits this is your identity. And then the last three gets really practical. How do you actually live that out? And we made that turn last week to the second half of the book. And, and we heard all these glorious things in the first half about who we are. And, and then we let ourselves ask the question last week, and we'll continue this week. If all those great things are true about us, we're rich, we're alive in Christ, we're able, we belong, uh, we have purpose, all this. Why is it we don't always feel that way or we don't experience it? And so that's what the second half of the book is about. And again, we're just doing an overview. We won't cover every verse in the book, but what we're doing for the second half, I want to just pick three pieces of those identities that we were given and just drill down on that. How is it that we might experience and live that out? So last week we, we talked about if we're rich and, and we have all this incredible spiritual blessing in Christ, how comes we sometimes feel spiritually bankrupt inside and Last week we saw Paul say, look, one of the reasons that we don't have an experience of the full riches that God intended us to have is because each one of us has a gift. And his language, as each part does its work in the body of Christ, we will experience the glory and the wonder and the power and the riches of Christ more and more. So one of the ways to experience that richness is you come offering your gifts to the body and you receive the gifts that God has placed in other people. This week, we're going to make that turn. You might get that. The Holy Spirit's calling. Um, <laughs> just playing. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your devices, we're in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So this is the word of the Lord from the book of Ephesians. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to uh, sensuality as, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to, and these two verses really the heart of this text, you were taught to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. And he ends with this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been traveling and you got to the place you were going and you found that you had packed really badly? Have you ever had one of those moments? You're traveling, and you finally get where you're going. You realize you either didn't bring right clothes, you brought too many clothes, you brought not enough. You just kind of pack. You pack really badly. An experience like that, I think I've told you before about parts of my trip to Europe right after I graduated from undergraduate. And the way the the trip went is the first ten weeks were pretty much scripted out because we wanted to kind of we'd never traveled before, and so my roommate and I from college we. We decided to go for this study abroad program, and we didn't have to worry about the grades because we already graduated, but it was just kind of fun. So for the first six weeks, we were in England studying Shakespeare in England. That was pretty cool at the University of Sussex. Then we went for another four weeks to Edinburgh in uh, in Scotland and studied Scottish poetry at the University of Edinburgh. So it was kind of fun. And, And the thing about this is when we went on this trip, all of that was scripted for us, including we stayed with host families. So for six weeks, we were in, in, in England, we had a host family there, and we went to Scotland, we had a host family there, and all of the places we traveled, we were in buses. They, they worked all that out for us. And, and so when we first went on the first leg of the trip, man, we brought all sorts of stuff. We had the big, huge suitcases, and we packed everything in there, you know, had all our clothes, we had books just to read, we had books to study, we, you know, it was before, like, camera, good cameras on the cell phone days or whatever, and so we had cameras and all the touristy stuff, so we had all that stuff there. But we realized when we're traveling for the rest part and we're going to do the rest on our own, we decided we're going to be smart about this. We're going to leave some stuff back there. So when we come back and fly out of England, we've got the stuff and they let us keep it there. And we thought we'd be smart about this. And so we we're going to reduce all that junk we brought into one bag. And this was the bag that we chose to do. It's an old army duffel bag. Now I gave you a picture of it on the right to see how it sits on a person although it's even a little bit bigger than that, but it wasn't as nice as the one on the right. So that has nice straps and all. It was, it was the one on the left, okay? So it was this old school army duffel bag. We thought, okay, we're just going to fit whatever we can carry into this one pack and we're going to go to it. And, and we decided to weave into the trip a part that we hadn't planned before. We realized, look, we're on the other side of the world. Let's go ahead and go to the Holy Land. We'd never been to Israel before. And we thought, well, we may not get a chance to do it again. And I haven't been back since. And so 
we're just going to throw this in there, but we didn't have a whole lot of money for it. So picture this. We went from staying in houses and moving around on buses to staying in youth hostels. You ever stayed in a youth hostel before? So it's like, you know, old school retreat stuff. You get a bunk, that's about it. You can't keep your stuff there. So whatever you've got, you've got to carry with you. So we thought, okay, we got one bag. We're going to carry it with us. And so we go to Israel. The problem is Israel looks like this when you get there. And this doesn't do justice to it. Like it talks of, you know, the old school song, like on Zion's glorious summit stood. Well, it's a summit and you got to get up there. And we went in the middle of the summer. So we're talking like 90 plus degrees, Houston-like humidity, and we're walking up the Mount of Olives. We're like halfway up, and we're about to pass out because we realize, you get this? We realize we did not pack for the country we were in. We were still packed for the country we came from. Does that make sense? And we had this big old backpack on our back. It's like a human-sized backpack. By the way, subject of another story, I had like a four-foot piece of rebar in the back of that that I, I guess broke off of the Berlin Wall. It was not illegal at the time. I'll tell you that story some other time. But so I got rebar in my back. Like, we're going this thing. And hear me, we were not packed for that country. We were packed for a different country, different circumstances, different situation. So finally, in our wisdom, we shifted from that duffel bag to this. <laughs> Anybody remember the old school Jansport backpacks, right? So here's the rule. If it didn't fit in that backpack, it did not go. So we mailed the rest of the stuff back, and we walked around the rest of there. Finally, we were packed properly for the country we found ourselves in. Here's the thing. We are talking very practically in the second half of this book about what does it look like to live out of our real identity. Practically speaking, what does that look like? And in this section of the book, I think Paul helps us answer the question. If we are alive in Christ, remember the identity, we have in us the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are alive in every possible way. Now, here's the question, though. If we have that kind of life among us and in us, why is it that we feel so dead and lifeless sometimes? And I think what Paul is saying in this section is the reason you feel dead sometimes is because you are carrying baggage. And you're carrying a lot of baggage from the country you left behind. Remember, we gave this metaphor early in the teaching on Ephesians. Let me remind you of this. He uses two words throughout the book and really throughout his letters to say where you are when you've come to Jesus. And he says you are living in Christ. And we describe that as a country big enough for your dreams. It's a new realm of existence, new relationships, a new ruler, a new king, new power, new promise, new hope. The problem is, hear me, a lot of us are in the new country, but we're still carrying the baggage of the life we left behind. And that will drag on us. Think about it this way. Um, first of all, the language Paul uses here, he says, put off the old self. Get rid of that baggage. Put off the old self. More than a moment, let's think about it this way. It was very insightful to me when I read a book called A Bondage Breaker, a guy named Neil Anderson. I believe this book is actually in our library, but he, he wrote two books, Bondage Breaker, Victory Over Darkness. He wrote others, but these are two groundbreaking works. But he talked about how is it that Christians, so many Christians are living kind of in bondage and not in the fullness of life that they were intended to live. And, and one of the things he brought out that I hadn't noticed before, there are three kinds of states of being that people can live at any given time. There are three, you know, he also three kinds of people, but think about three ways that a person can live. 
All right, the first one is what he calls the natural person. And again, this is not his words, this is Paul's words. The natural person, and think of fallen nature. The natural person is something we already talked about in chapter 2. The natural person is someone trying to live life without God, without God's power, without God's relationship, without God's direction. And Paul said, remember back in chapter 2, Paul said, you're dead. You may look like a beautiful, beautiful flower arrangement, but you're disconnected from the roots. So even though it looks great for a while, there is no enduring life. You're dead. The natural person is that way. He, he goes on to describe it here. He expands on it a little bit more, verse 17, 18, and 19. And he mentions three things. He said, you were futile when you were back there and living as the Gentiles do. You were futile in your thinking. Hear me. When you're living on the natural person's power and wisdom, your thinking is wrong and broken. Right? Second thing he says in 17, 18, and 19, he said, your hearts were hardened. He goes on to say, you've lost all sensitivity. Do you ever feel like you're walking around a world where people just don't seem to care anymore? You do whatever you want to do, whatever seems right and feels right. He said, that's what it's like to live in the natural person. Let me just say this again. We've said it before. Church, don't beat up on people because they live like the world. They are living out of the natural person. That's what they do, right? I'm going to say this right. I'm just saying it's not our job to go throw bricks at them. Paul just points out, you're living in this way. And in chapter 2, he said, you are without hope and without God in the world. You're dead and don't know it. That's the natural person. Now, what's the other side of it? He calls it the spiritual person. Now, be very clear. Spiritual and physical are not two different things. The spirit is in connected to the body. We'll talk about that more next week. But the spiritual person is someone, think capital S, whose life is animated, empowered, and purposed by the Holy Spirit of God. You live walking in the power and the presence of God in your life. That is a spiritual person. He'll talk about it later on. We didn't read this far, but in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, again, we're just doing an overview. Go read that, and it talks about a life that is so full of the light of God that it produces life. Rightness and authenticity and goodness. And all of this. All right, That's a spirit-led life. Or what is a spiritual person? We know this. We've sung the songs and we memorized the verse. But just sink into this for a moment. A spiritual person is one whose life is characterized by the fruit. Not fruits. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you have the Spirit in your life, increasingly that fruit will manifest itself. What would it be like to have a life characterized by love and joy and peace? And I love the way the new NIV doesn't just say patience because we can kind of rush past that. Forbearance, putting up with each other. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance. Goodness, kindness, gentleness, and control of ourselves instead of just doing whatever we want to do. That is a life that is a spiritual person. Does that make sense? Now, I used to think there's just two kinds of people. Two kinds of ways of living. But Paul makes it very clear, and what he's talking about here is there is a third category that he calls worldly, by some translation, fleshly is the literal translation, or carnal. Now hear me, this is so important to get this. It is possible to be in Christ, heaven bound, grace received, and yet still living like you're a natural person. Do you follow me on this? You're in Christ, you're saved. Stop, stop fighting about that. You're in Christ, you're saved. But the problem is, it is possible to be in Christ and yet living carnally and worldly because we are carrying around the baggage of the thoughts 
and the habits of our old way of life. And Paul says you can be saved and a Christian and yet you're not living with the joy and the wonder and the spirit-filled power of that. Does that make sense? Uh, let me give an example of where he talks about it, although he unpacks it a lot here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he uses this language. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, brothers and sisters, notice what he calls them, brothers and sisters in Christ. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people who are still carnal or worldly or fleshly. You notice the difference? He said, you're in Christ, right? He goes on to say, mere infants, listen to these words, in Christ. They're in the country where Christ is king. You're a Christian, but you're just a baby when I wanted you to grow up. In the power and the wonder and the identity that you have. Do you hear this? I gave you milk, not solid food, because you're not ready for it. Hebrews says the same kind of thing. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, carnal, fleshly. That different kind of life that you're living. You're in Christ, but you're not living with the freedom. By the way, so often we just focus on the stuff that is in Ephesians, right? Immorality and lust and drunkenness and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that is part of worldly carnal living. But notice this too, because here and elsewhere, Paul makes it very clear. One of the major marks of immaturity in Christ, don't miss this. One of the major marks of carnal worldly living is dissension and fighting among people in your relationships. If you find yourself consistently in an environment where people are always contentious and fighting and judgmental and you find yourself in the middle of that mix, it may be an indicator of spiritual immaturity and carnality. Does it make sense? This is what he says. Now, don't take my words for it. You are still carnal and worldly. Why? Because there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not still worldly? Are you not acting like mere Humans, you were intended to be more than just mere humans. You were intended to be spirit-filled temples of the Holy Spirit. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What a powerful way to describe that. And yes, he unpacks that in this text too. Think about three areas, and I want you to invite, again, hear me. If you have given your life to Jesus, chapter 2 says you are saved by grace through faith. That's a gift of God. And if you trust it in Christ, you are baptized in Christ, you've given your life to Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're in Christ. So for a moment, I want to talk about that. Here's the question. Now, are we living in Christ as spiritual beings? Or are we carnal or are we worldly? And he mentions three areas. You might just think about this, three areas that indicate immaturity or carnality. The first one is in our speech. And he mentions several things in here in your speech. There's deceitful speech, there is destructive speech, and there's degenerate speech. All of those are in there. Deceitful. Are we people that are honest with ourselves and other people? Destructive. Does our language tear down other people? Degenerate. Are we just kind of wallowing in the filth that's all around us? He said, watch your speech. It's an indicator of spiritual worldliness, right? Uh, second one is our attitude. He mentions words like bitterness and malice. Think about it. our attitudes in relationship to other people. Is that a place where the worldliness and the baggage of the old life is showing up? Do you find yourself judgmental to others? Do you find yourself tearing other people down? Do you find yourself putting somebody down to lift yourself up? That is a sign. You're in Christ. I'm not beating you up. It's just a sign that we need to grow up in Christ. And the last one is indulgent desires, right? So he mentioned several. Lust. 
and greed and anything that would control your life. He specifically mentions don't get drunk on wine. Now, this isn't just beating people up for stupid stuff and crazy stuff that they do all on the campus. He said, he goes, notice what they're missing. He said, get rid of that baggage. Why? Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, what? Do you know what he says later in chapter 5? Be filled with the Spirit. He said, I, I'm not telling you not to do that stuff because it's breaking a rule. I'm telling you, I want you to be open and ready to be filled with God. And he's saying, if you get full, drunk on the spirit of Jesus Christ in your life, it is a high unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Does that make sense? So here's a way to think about it. Again, you're in Christ, not beating you up. But it is an invitation to say, if the Holy Spirit is, is working in us, here's a great time before we go any further, even in the series, just to say, Holy Spirit, would you point out to me right now, one of those, is there one of these three areas where the Holy Spirit's inviting you to grow a little bit. Is your speech life-giving or is it not? Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, I invite you to lean into me. Don't go work and try hard. Lean into me to help you speak in a life-giving way. Is your attitude destroying relationships in your life? Holy Spirit, help me to be a harmonizer like you're a harmonizer. Are your desires out of control? Is it like a fire that's outside of the boundaries that a fire was intended to be? Holy Spirit, could you help channel my passions? Don't turn them off. Turn them up to the things you created me. Does it make sense? Let the Holy Spirit, I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to tap one of those or another. Why is that a significant thing for us to talk about right now? Listen, God says, I don't just want you to be in Christ and to be saved. I want you to experience the wonder of the life that is in Christ. Here's a way to think about it. I love how the Bible paints for us. The Bible gives us imagery here that motivates why we're invited to get rid of the baggage, to put off the old self, right? There's language here. It says in verse 22, literally, put off your old self, which is being corrupted. And here's the imagery Paul's giving. He's saying, look, God is telling you in a moment of deep, deep honesty, God is telling you, I want you to get rid of that baggage. Why? Because that baggage of your old self will kill you. The baggage of your old self will destroy you and kill your life. By the way, kids that are here, this guy's not dead. It's just a picture, okay? But, but it's an image to say, if we keep letting ourselves be burdened down with the habits and the thoughts of our old life, it will destroy our lives. Again, you're in Christ, you're going to be saved, but it's going to steal the life God intended you to have in him. So think about it this way. I want you to think about one word here because there's a picture. He said, put off the old self, get rid of the old baggage, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And I jotted down several things. What, what does that word mean? Corrupted. It's an image. It means, think of the, of the terrible earthquake we're all praying for in, in Turkey. The word corrupted here means a house that's been torn down. Think about a house after an earthquake or a tornado hits it. What is it like? God says, I don't, you're in Christ, but I don't want you to walk around with your lives in shambles and your relationships in shambles. The other picture of what this word means, it means to have a, a, a serious covenant partnership torn apart. You've seen all sorts of images of this. I have a good dear, dear friend of mine um, who, who is a great business leader in the community where he lives. And his partner of many, many years, he's a huge business owner and has just great impact in the community. They basically lied to him, cheated him out of money, and left him with a bunch of debt, he and his other partners. And they still, they've had to fight for their business's existence. What does it look like to tear apart relationships that were intended to be life-giving? That's what happens when we keep carrying this baggage. 
right? Uh, the other uh, senses of this term, um, uh, 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 where did I put my notes here? <laughs> yeah, it's an image of bankruptcy, right? What does it look like to, to lose everything you have or my, my most meaningful part? I get you get this picture in here. It is a word that means the wasting away of a life. Now, Paul paints a similar image elsewhere. In Romans chapter 7, there's a passage in there that I affectionately, if you heard me talk about this before, I call it the doo-doo passage, right? So I do do what I don't want to do, don't do what I do want to do, the doo-doo passage, you get it? All right, so Paul's talking about the struggle with sin, and he ends that passage by saying this, who will rescue me from this body of death? You realize that was, a, that was the actual image in the Greco-Roman world. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Think about it this way. The Romans were masters at finding way to execute political prisoners in a way that made a statement. We know about that from this thing called crucifixion. But did you know another way they would execute a political criminal? They would actually take that person and tie an already executed uh, uh, prisoner around their body. Can you picture this? It's gruesome. It's a, pow it's a powerful image. It's in Scripture, but I'm just going to take this for a moment. Because you ask a doctor what happens. What happens if you have a living body and the body that's already dead that is attached to you? Over time, as that body decays, guess what it'll do to your body? It will what? It will kill you. Do you get the picture? Paul's wrestling with this thing called sin. And he said, who will rescue me from this body of death? By the way, it's the gospel. And it's not the gospel unless good news preached. Don't miss the next verse. The next verse is, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. But don't miss the image of what happens when we carry this around in us. It literally kills us. And that's the motivation. So here's a practical thing. Let's get to a practical section. And we'll give one, one piece of hope because we're going to mostly do the good news next week, all right? But here's the practical suggestion for this. Have somebody in your life who will tell you the truth. Have some people in your life that know you well enough to look you in the eye and tell you the truth about who you are in a good way, but also to watch for the pitfalls of your life. Here's a great way I think about it, man. I, I, there was a, a good buddy of mine. We used to play golf together. Not much, and anybody ever played golf with me, I'm horrible. But we would play golf back in Virginia, and there was this one hole that we play often. I want you to picture this. We're walking out on the fairway, and then it curves up to the left, and up on a hill, up to the left, was the green, and it sat right behind an enormous tree. So you drive out in the fairway, and your, your ball's sitting right here, and you're looking up, man. And can anybody guess what I was often tempted to do? My ball is sitting right here on the fairway. I can see the green right there. Huge tree in the way. Can anybody guess? You can talk to me. What was I tempted to do? And Jonathan goes, hit the ball over the tree. Because, you know, if you hit a perfect wedge right over the top of that tree, it'll drop right on there, and you've got a chance for a birdie putt. Now, the smart way to do it is you pop it up to the side and then you chip it on and then you just get apart. By the way, I can't even do that. But now, hear me, this is so important. And once you get this, this is what we do for each other. Please do this for each other. Please do this for each other. My buddy Ron would have a little line he would say to me every time. Now, back then, the best golfer in the world was a guy that maybe you've heard of before. So he would say this to me. When I, he could see in my eyes, I'm thinking about hitting over the tree. And you know what he would say to me? Dean, remember, you're not Tiger Woods. So if you want to use the line, just change it to John Rahm or Lorena Ochoa, I think is the, is the best uh, lady golf in the world. So just change the name. But remember, you're not Tiger Woods. Listen to me. Huge practical wisdom. Have somebody in your life and say, I know you think you can handle that. 
but you're not tired of this. Without the Spirit of God, you can't go in that environment. You can't go in that place. You can't do it. Have somebody in your life, I'm looking at one of them now, who can look me in the eye and say, hey, you're not that without your brothers around you. Hear me. Call it out in each other. A, a little thing I would often say to students all the time, so I'm going to say this to you guys, but it's true for all of us. Hear me. Have somebody in your life that will help you prepare for the moments that will change your life. Because we don't try to be Christians, we train to be Christians. Do you hear me? You prepare for it. So I'll say this. I'll just say this to young people, but this is true for all of us. Listen to me. If you wait until you get money to learn how to be generous and wise in the way you spend it, you've already lost. Hear me, the battle, not the war. Holy Spirit's with you. If you wait until you earn money to learn how to be generous and wise with debt and all that kind of stuff, you've already lost the battle. You prepare for it before you have it, then you're in the moment. Say to students all the time, if you wait to Friday and Saturday night when you're alone with your girlfriend or your boyfriend to be pure and holy, you've already lost. Not the war. You're in Christ. He loves you. I'm just saying, you don't just cruise into a tempting moment. You prepare before you go. If you wait until someone makes you angry or has wronged you to respond in compassion, forgiveness, and kindness, you've already lost the battle. Not the war, but you've lost it. But you hear what I'm saying? We train for the Christian life. We don't try in it. Have someone in your life who will fight for you to get the baggage off. Now hear me. I end with this little section. We're almost done. Not totally, but we'll get there. One of the things I love, there's many things I love about Christianity. Hear me. One of the things I love about Christianity. Christianity is not about not doing stuff. And I know we've talked about this a lot because Paul is talking about putting off. But hear me. Christianity is not about not doing or putting off the old baggage. It is about taking up the new life you have in Christ. That's what Paul says. Don't just put off the old stuff. Take up the new life you have in Christ. He doesn't want you just not to carry the stupid backpack around. He wants you to experience the incredible view on top of the mountain, lightly and freely. Hear me. You were created to travel lightly in the world. I can't say this clearly enough. If Christianity and your experience of Christianity is nothing but a burden to you, it is not Christ. It is religion. They say, I can't say that any clearer. If your experience, maybe you're just visiting today, I hate church, I do too. I love the community of the people of God. I don't like religion, I don't like church um, institutions. If your only experience of Christianity is a burden, you have not seen Christ. You have seen the natural and the carnal. I invite you to step into the Spirit of God. He didn't tell us not to do stuff. He said, I want you to live. Hear this, you've heard this before, right? My yoke is easy and burden is light. I mean, you've heard Jesus say that. Let me, let me read it to you, the message, one of the most powerful translations of any verse in Scripture I've ever heard. Take this in. If you forget everything, hear this. This is what Jesus wants for our lives. The message, Matthew 11, verse 30. Are you tired, Jesus said? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Listen to this language. Watch how I do it, Jesus said. Learn, this is all one of the greatest lines of all of scripture, this translation, listen. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Oh, isn't that glorious? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You were intended to fly up the hill. Doesn't mean there's not discipline. Doesn't mean there aren't times. There's a cross in the story. I get it. But it is not a burden. It is intended to be life-giving. That's the invitation. Take up this life. We'll do more on this next week. Let me give you one practical piece for this. Hear me. Christianity is all about imitation and not information. Christianity is about imitation, not information. I grew up somehow, people didn't try to teach me this, but somehow I grew up thinking that Christianity was all about learning the right stuff, cramming all the right facts in my head. By the way, that never gave me life. Don't misunderstand me. We need to think rightly and deeply. Paul talks about that, right? But it's about so much more than, hear me, from the very beginning, Christianity was about walking in following another. What does he say in chapter 5, verse 1? Be, one word, so important, imitators of God, just as you learned in Christ. Be imitators of God. Now, don't miss this, because you might say, well, that's really hard to do. Paul has the audacity to say it a slightly different way. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, are you ready for how bold and audacious he is? You know what Paul says? He doesn't just say, be imitators of God. Does anyone know what he says? Be imitators of me. Not me, not Dean. But he said, be imitators of me, Paul. Listen to these words. As I imitate Christ. In other, way, in other words, Paul said, I'm going to try to walk in such a way that you can walk after me. And, and this is Paul's really clear. He'll talk about his failures and his screw-ups too. He'll say, if there's anything in me that's carnal under the world, throw it away. Get rid of that baggage too. But if you see Christ in me, follow that. And from the very beginning, all of Christianity came down to two words. Jesus saying to his followers, follow me. And then he created some people that said, follow me. And we followed them all the way to now. And it's about being and living in a community that shows us how to do this. So here's a, here's a thought. Take the Holy Spirit's nudge, speech, right? Attitude, impure, disordered desi desires. Is there somebody in the spiritual community that has that going on in a healthy way? Get around them. Hang out with them and say, would you spill over on me? It's not about them. It's about the Spirit of God working through them. That's what we do in a church. Do not do it on your own. Imitate Christ in each other's lives. Steve, if I can get through this story without weeping on you, okay? So I want to tell you, one of the greatest mentors of my life, every church I ever go to, I'm going to, tell, I'm going to tell his story. His name is Rusty Ladd. He was the first judge that I ended up deeply loving in Christ. And I love that on this day I'm telling Rusty's story that Steve is, is leading worship for us. It's so powerful to me. I met Rusty when we first moved to Lubbock, Texas. He was a judge there, used to be a cop. Incredible guy. What a great leader and great man. He is one of the only guys in the state of Texas, maybe in other places too, that as a police officer got a conviction on a murder case without a body. Now, if you don't know anything about evidence, that's hard to do. And he had being a judge. He was an incredible judge, but he was an unbelievable man of God. And I'll never forget the day that we had 200 college students. Well, we broke up in, in guys and girls that night. And he, he was talking to a bunch of guys in our college ministry, and he told his story. And he had the boldness to say, here's what I've really struggled with in my life. And here's how God has rescued my life. And when he got real, all our guys started doing it too. And we had little guys groups. And he would come and speak to us. And he impacted our lives. Let me tell you one of the things I'll never forget Rusty said to me. 
As you guys know, uh, I, I grew up, I had a great dad, but I only had him for 10 years. So I didn't see what it meant to be a father very much. I'll never forget what Rusty said to me. He said, he had the boldness to say what Paul said. He said, I'm a good father. He didn't say I'm perfect. He said, I'm a good father. But if you want to know how to be a good father, and I'll never forget these words, he said, hang out with me. You want to learn to be a good father? I'm not going to just tell you something. I'm going to give you a book. Hang out with me. Watch the way I interact with my kids. And we did it. We used to go over to his house. I remember him cooking dinner one time. We spent and served together. We would do these things called walk to Emmaus. And on from Thursday night till Sunday night, we would serve other men together. And he would tell his story there. And I would tell mine. And eventually our stories wove together. We couldn't tell our stories without telling the other person's story like I'm doing now today. This is a public service announcement here. Don't text and drive, okay? Because a college student ran into him driving a motorcycle. And he's with Jesus now. But he didn't leave to go home without Jesus, without changing my life and the life of the entire community that surrounded him. Not because he's perfect. One of the things he said is, watch me and watch how I mess up and get back up and keep going. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's my dream for this church. We don't just invite you to attend. That's great. You do that as long as you need to. But we're inviting us to come into each other's lives and imitate Christ in different areas of our lives. So people can learn from each other when the Spirit of God works in us to take off the baggage of the old life and to run free in the new life we have in Christ. Father God, that's our prayer. That is our prayer. Let us run to you in the places in our lives that we need to give our lives to you the most. And Father, let us run in freedom. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus.